hello and welcome to What's Brewing, CISFA. What's Brewing, CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community College's Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. And I'm Dana Yarbrough, Dennis's co-host and fellow employee at Los Angeles Mission College. What's Brewing CISFA hopes to inform and entertain you 30 minutes at a time. So let's start the show. And welcome to another episode of What's Brewing CISFA. Let's start this show with our first cup. Dana, seeing that I've been flying solo on Tuesdays, you got anything fancy in your cup this morning on a Friday? so I haven't brewed it yet, and I know that I've mentioned it before on the show. Um, uh-huh. I have some tea that I ordered from uh, TWG, stands for The Wellness Group. Okay. They're uh, like a Hout, Hout Couture Tea okay. Company in Singapore, and mm-hmm. they have other locations around the world. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so, so I'm going to, after the show, I'm going to brew some, some of their um, Singapore breakfast tea. Nice. That sounds yes. really good. Mm-hmm. Now, are you going to start, uh, you know, now that I bought one of those uh, boiling pots for. Yeah, the gonna... electric kettle. Oh, for sure. Okay. Absolutely. Um, as soon as I get my cubicle settled, <laughs> I, know. As, I know you've seen it's a hot mess right now because we've been gone for so long. Yeah. For uh, for those who don't know, Dana's cubicle was already extra <laughs> before the whole pandemic. And yeah. now it's just kind of in a state of. Disarray. Re- disarray and reconstruction <laughs> and reconstruction. Yeah. You know what? I love that. It's under yeah. construction. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, the pandemic came through and uh, wiped out all the good. And now Dennis <laughs> got to rebuild. I most certainly do. But thank goodness, Dennis. Yeah. Um, our um, our guys on campus have finally done the, the 360 cleaning. So yes. then, like you're saying, I can finally purge and uh reorganize and get resettled in yes you can uh-huh <laughs> yeah now the only thing is uh i know you noticed uh with dana and eric uh, uh monica and erica's cubicles mm-hmm. we were able to fit very desks in there oh <laughs> i didn't know if that was possible but sam made it happen he he had most to, certainly did. He had so, to work his butt off to get him in. My goodness, Dennis. <clears throat> so everyone listening, Sam is one of our awesome plant facilities yes. workers. And Dennis, we would come and, you know, we, we go in at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And the man, you know, he's got the music going and he's sweating hard. Yeah. Like he's been working since dawn. Like, yes, you have worked this man. Uh, well, and I gave him a yeah. task that I wasn't sure was possible, which is, you know, you take a, a, a regular cubicle that's got like an L-shaped desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're attached to the walls and you want to take off one of the parts of the L so you could literally slip in like a regular um, <clears throat> like three by five foot desk. Mm-hmm. That's one of those very desks where the whole top goes up and down because I had already, you know, we had two employees in the back office who had those. And my concern had always been that, you know, the desks kind of hold up the walls in part. But in talking to Sam, he didn't seem to be very worried about that. Not so uh, so he was able to deconstruct the cubicles. Yes, he did. Take out part of the desk and then slip it in to the spot. It doesn't it doesn't fill the spot, which is OK. 
because it's still it's it's a regular desk, so it still fits monitors and co- computers and all that good stuff. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then one of our coworkers, she has it set up where her monitors are um, on some type of apparatus, so she can. Like, yeah, it's got an arm like I have here. Yeah, there at we home. go. Yeah, an arm. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So Dennis, uh, he might get an email from me. <laughs> well, if you really want a desk, I may make you buy the same style. You're not going to get the pick. The white uh, one with the crystal, uh, with the, you know, <laughs> inlay with the granite top. Oh my or something goodness! Like no, mar- that. no marble finish with no marble uh, gold finish. filigree and no, no <laughs> diamond encrusted. Look, di- a diamond encrusted arm for yeah, that's that's my what monitors. I'm. There yeah, go. so if you don't know, that's exactly what Dana would order if Dennis didn't yes. control her. If you did not give me boundaries and limits, I will take you there. Yes. <laughs> now again, I've I've talked about very desk, but there are a variety of other companies out there. So just so you know. And they're all very good. It's just that's the one that we've bought for the office because we have three employees with them. Mm-hmm. And then we have the kind of very desk that sits on top of a desk and is motorized. The one that we had that from Arthur there was motorized. So it, too, would move up. And it, it, it just had big wings and all. So that one I may have to shuffle off to someone else. Because oh, yes. I think I've also got a manual one that we bought first for Martha when she wanted it. Uh, but at some point it was a it was a little bit for her to lift. Yeah. So and then they came out with the the, the electric motorized. one. Yes. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. Those they can those can be kind of bulky. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean they got the little flap feature. wings or whatever. Yeah. But they, uh-huh. still it's it's uh it's kind of uh jarring. The electric one you can also set the different levels. Right. You know, mm-hmm. bring it up five inches, bring it up seven inches. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one I think just had up or down. You know, that's so. But, you know, it's a good thing in case your employees are asking for it. If it helps them, uh, you know, keep their good posture, have Mm -hmm. them stand for the day. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's why I've been more than willing to invest in those. (laughs) For once, when I say invest in something in higher education, I actually mean buying something that's useful, not the let's invest in our futures. Or let's oh, invest okay. in our teachers. You know, you just mean spend on salaries. Yes. That's not really investment unless at the end of the day we get to cut open that teacher and take their money. You wow. Know, I'm just saying um, that's not an investment. <laughs> you can't call salary. This is the part that I, uh, I'll i get off this rant in a second. When yeah. government calls in uh, invest, paying people's salaries, basically, and benefits in investment, it, it destroys the meaning of the word investment. Said, investment yes, would be like I'm right, investing yeah. in a building like we are on our campus, uh-huh, yeah. a new student services building that should last 75 to 100 years, will house thousands, you know, thousands of students and employees over the years and will allow us to organize and centralize student services for students. It has a purpose and right. it's actually something that if the school ever decided that uh, we need a much bigger campus and we're going to sell the whole thing. Yes, we've invested in something that we can thus sell later. I can't <laughs> sell an employee's benefits and salaries. That's just paying. If you want me to pay more, just tell me that. Stop calling it an investment, people. <laughs> but anyways, I'll get off my rant. Because right. today... Uh, You're entitled to your two minutes. <clears throat> exactly. Today, we yeah. are hope to have Anna Faye in to do an interview, our uh, queen of CISFA for 21-22. Uh, but she got booked on other things. So the goal will be is next week, Friday, if all goes well, 
because next week, early in the week, is uh, the first CISFA exec board meeting where Anna Faye takes over. So I get to lay back a little bit. But we'll we'll try to have her on. You know, I think there's going to be a number of topics coming up at the CISFA meeting, including uh, some state issues, because we certainly have those. We certainly have federal issues that will probably get talked about, uh, Dana, you know, like all this verification stuff and all. Mm-hmm. Yes. Probably some training opportunities. Anna Faye's big on that. So I don't doubt we'll start to reinstate some training opportunities outside of the conference uh, in CISFA this coming year. And then, of course, the big one, we'll definitely be talking about conference. So oh, yeah. Yeah. We have to get on. Uh, I think we have a meeting in a week or so with our chancellor's office and foundation for the community colleges people to start mm-hmm. planning for that so mm-hmm. be ready dana and that uh, is oh oh man dennis i am so i know ready. you are i am ready mm-hmm. um i was going to ask you um because i noticed when um during your presidency it, it's normal to start this early wind planning conference right oh Just yes it's such a, a large undertaking right and it's it's a lot of moving pieces so mm-hmm. <clears throat> we certainly have the hotel and all booked because that's was it was booked a year ago mm-hmm. well it was booked for this year uh and obviously we pushed it off a whole year so that process had started probably the year before that mm-hmm. when i was president-elect it's like the first thing you have to do is kind of go out there and again <clears throat> kind of decide where we're going to do the conference north or south and then kind of narrow it down a couple cities now We've never really held one in L.A., but there's uh, strong reasons why if people ever ask. I'll get uh, short on this topic, too. And it's all about travel. <clears throat> and so if we did one in L.A., a lot of colleges have it where if you, like, live within 50 miles of uh, your conference. Oh, you'd have to drive. You can't you have fly. To, yeah. You, well, yeah. you um, you can't stay overnight. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so you, you'd have to commute every day. Oh, man. And so that becomes a real pain if you want to do L.A. Yeah. or Orange County because Absolutely. so many people live in L.A. and Orange County. We've held it down in San Diego, obviously knowing that it could impact some San Diego schools, but there are much fewer San Diego community colleges. Um, so, And we've held it in places like Monterey, where, again, there's really other than Monterey Peninsula College, there's no other community colleges nearby. So everyone has to fly or drive in and stay overnight. Same thing for Sacramento. We've kind of done it there in some other places. But, um, yeah, that's in case people wonder why we don't do it right in L.A. That It's because schools and their stupid rules. Because, again, if, if we've held it where it's been like in Anaheim. And luckily it's more than 50 miles because I would never commute day to day from my place here in Hollywood area. Mm-hmm. down to Anaheim for a conference that could be three or four days long. Back in the good old days when Casper and Cisco used to butt their conferences up together. Mm-hmm. And I'd just be crazy. But, <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of the uh, the lay of the land for conference. But, yeah, we do start planning early because there's a lot of things to do. So more on that as we go through uh, the podcast over the next uh, over the next year almost as, as we yeah. warm up for the next conference. Uh-huh. But today, I figured, seeing that with Anna Faye uh, unavailable, we do uh, what we call like an evergreen type of episode. You know, something that uh, can just kind of stand on its own. It's not tied to a particular point in time so much. Uh, and kind of a little refresher on things. So, uh, you know, part of this was uh, brought about because 
the John Burton Advocates for Youth, JBAY people, had just released uh, a paper of theirs on our topic. In particular, John Burton people work with foster youth and helping them and helping them into college, staying in college, and completing their programs. Because if you looked at the numbers, again, foster youth come out of uh, their living situations and go to college oftentimes um, with a number of issues they have to deal with. Again, they don't have the family support. They may not have the financial support. They may not have um, had stable educational support where they stayed at the same high school or whatever all the way through the end before they go off to college. And so without all of that, uh, it can be really daunting. And our uh, the numbers prove it out, unfortunately, that for all the foster youth that go to college, and many of them go to community colleges here in the state, um, you know, retention and graduation rates are uh, not what they should be at all. You know, and so they do quite a bit of work with them. But they released a paper just recently, the John Burton people, on satisfactory academic progress, or SAP, as some people might say, or some people would call it SAP, SAP, you know, said as a word. Uh, that's why the name of our show today is SAP Comes From Trees, right? And <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't think of something funnier, and that's not funny at all. But uh, anyways, so satisfactory academic progress will be our topic for today. So Dana, if I was to get into our first couple questions here, because we got a couple minutes before we hit our break, Mm-hmm. and ask you to uh, what is satisfactory academic progress? How would you explain it? Okay, so if you were a student, I would explain it as, so satisfactory academic progress is um, a part of a requirement to receive federal aid, and it's based on your cumulative academic record. Well, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a calculation of your G, uh, GPA, um, pass rate, and overall um, completion of units exactly. uh, during, your, during your time in, in the district. Well, for us in our district. Exactly. So there's three mm-hmm. components. In right. reality, the feds talk about it as far as two of them, one being a qualitative and actually two of them ending up being a quantitative. So the qualitative is the quality of the grades. So like you said, you have to keep up a GPA. Mm-hmm. And generally, most schools say 2.0. Right. And then there's the quantitative requirements, which would be things like you have to pass a certain percentage of classes to A, show that you're making progress, and then B, mathematically, that you can complete your program within a reasonable number of units attempted. So, you know, we usually track that at about two-thirds. You know, 67, we just change it to 66.5 for rounding Mm -hmm. reasons. Mm -hmm. You must be passing at least that percentage of your units. And... If you do so, you should stay on target to complete your program within what the feds allow us to call maximum time frame, which is the federal government generally allows schools to allow students to attempt up to 150% of the number of units or credits, you know, depending upon the school you go to, that are required for the student's academic program. So that's, you know, in the old days, we used to call it the 90 unit rule just because in the mm-hmm. in a sense if we do and have most students are in associate degree programs and most associate degree programs require 60 units 150% of uh, 60 is 90 there you go so once a student uh, as long as a student completes their program in 90 or less units they're not disqualified but if they needed more 
And there's a variety of reasons why. And we'll probably talk about that in our next segment as I get the music going here a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's always reason that a student could petition for us to extend them. Just like we're going to extend ourselves a little bit of music and into our next segment here so we can get deeper into this subject of SAP today. And welcome back for our second cup segment on the What's Brewing CISFA show. I figured it's a good time to fill your cup again, Dana, with your non-tea tea or know, whatever you're drinking huh? here. Uh, <clears throat> I just couldn't wake up early enough to get it brewing. I got you. <laughs> That's why I brought the brew t- kettle uh, for work. Yeah, because so. Dennis, the transition is real. Like, I am yeah. dead tired. I got you. <laughs> And we're, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the been struggle a, is real, sir. It's real. It, I, I feel it every day at one because I twisted my knee a little bit. So it's just been nothing but, uh, constant stretching when I get up because it mm-hmm. seems to like lock itself up a little bit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Walking that path up to the oh, office. Yeah, gotta get, and, yep. Uh, got to get back used to that. Going out uh-huh. to lunch, coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be a whole new world, uh. Of getting back to the office on a regular, regular basis. Yeah. But I think it's, I think, I think everyone needs it. Oh, that, that's just my thoughts on it. I think we need to yeah. get back to this regular stuff sooner than later, regardless of the mm-hmm. other things going on. Right. So, uh, yeah, well, uh, we'll, we'll get, we got stuff here to talk about though today. So I think you did a really good job of explaining what SAP is. Probably the real big thing for some people is why do we even do this or what does it affect? And I think, in short, we can just say it affects pretty much students' eligibility for financial right. aid, right? Mm-hmm. Almost yes, all programs. Uh huh. There's a few things that are different. Obviously, if you get an outside scholarship from outside the college, um, they may have other requirements, and they don't care. Or you've got um, a private student loan through a bank, not a federal student loan. Maybe they don't care. And, in, and the only state program who really doesn't care too much uh, that a lot of our students get is the California College Promise Grant, which used to be the fee waiver. They have their own rules. So SAP standards, as we call them, affect all the different federal aid programs, the Pell Grant, the st- federal student loans, work study, uh, state aid programs, our Cal Grant program. All those, a student has to be shown they're making progress uh, in order for them to continue to get aid. How often do we evaluate students there, Dana? After every, at the end of the semester, when grades exactly. are um, put in by the professors. Yeah, so as they would mm-hmm. say in federal terms, uh, we evaluate every payment period. So every semester we do look at the students. Now schools do have the option to do it only once a year, but there's a drawback to that. Mm. So like in our case, in our district, and most schools do it our way, you do it every payment period. And at the end of the payment period, you look at those students' cumulative GPA, their cumulative uh, passing percentage or pace of progression, as we call it. And then you also make sure that they haven't topped out on their maximum time frame, the 150% right. rule. And if they're okay and meeting all the standards, all the better. They're eligible for the next semester. If they're not meeting them, at least as far as GPA and passing percentage, you can put them on warning. 
warning still is like you're eligible for aid, but you got to get this stuff up by the end of the warrant by the next semester. Now, if they're over on the 150 percent, well, they're over and they're disqualified. But that's a whole nother thing. Mm -hmm. This is where it differs for those schools out there that only do it once a year. They can't do warning status. So in mm, a sense, that's true. Yeah, you just by federal rule. And so it's kind yeah. of disadvantageous to a student because you're not even supposed to just tell them that they're in a warning, even though they're not like, say, one semester in. You can maybe tell them that they have a low GPA and all, but you can't even say that it's a warning semester. And so in a mm. sense, it could be more of a shock to students. In a sense, you've let them ride longer with absolutely no worries in their mind, but you really do have um, the potential issue that a student is, say, eligible for fall, doesn't do too well. Comes back for spring, you haven't told them anything because it does, it's not part of the policy, and they don't do well enough for spring, so by the end of spring, it's just, boom, they're disqualified. You cut off, yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. at least with if you're doing it every payment period, you can at the end of the fall go, hey, you're on warning status. And the next step could be disqualified. You've given them the proper notification. Uh, just like most schools, we, uh, of course, put a lot in there about um, our uh, academics uh, support services, things from the learning resource centers, tutoring, talking to your academic counselor. Mm -hmm. If you are uh, working with EOPS or DSPS offices um, to work with those offices and your counselors so that hopefully some of those students who go on warning can avoid falling off the cliff. But we'll see how many they actually do every year, <laughs> unfortunately. Those are the ones you see at the counter, Dana, right? All the time. That's right, because one of the big things is, um, and I can't think of a school that doesn't do it, although by federal rules you don't have to, is a petition process, right? So, Dana, what do you think are some of the allowable reasons if a student is disqualified from aid mm -hmm. that we allow them, let's say if it's a GPA or passing percentage, or some of, what are some of the allowable reasons you probably have seen, and I'll add to them, that students give for why they might have fallen below on these things? Um, maybe loss of job, um, decrease in hours, and not maybe um, an inability to find proper childcare, maybe uh -huh. a death in the family. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. A wide spectrum. Yeah. It's a lot of that, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it, the work thing is it's, it's one of two prongs and I do look at them slightly different. Mm -hmm. It's a different world where it's a student who's talking about their employer changed their hours. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Or um, added extra shift. Uh, mm -hmm. For them, they went that from they part did not anticipate. Yep. Exactly. They mm -hmm. went from part time to full time because mm -hmm. of circumstances. And that even happened during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that threw off their schedule for classes and stuff. And that's why maybe they had to withdraw or it was late in the semester. You brought up other good things, you know, as far as, you know, uh, you know, family situations and stuff like that. Uh, and so those are the kinds of things we do look at on a regular basis. The one thing that I was going to say, the caveat, the work that I try to <clears throat> I try to understand for a period of time. But again, I look at their full academic record so I can know this. If it, if the excuse is basically I work 40 hours a week or more and go to school and they continue to do that for multiple semesters and continue to fail. It's a harder thing for me to be sold on because, again, it's you've you've decided every time then, especially when it's multiple semesters of F's and W's and they're not getting anything done, 
you've basically made a decision that school is not important and that work is. And so at some point you have to draw the line, you know, do I work less and go to school more? Do I just continue to work full time, but then maybe only squeeze one class in instead of trying to take three or Mm -hmm. four or five classes where you get nothing accomplished because it's not good for the student. Obviously it's not good for them. uh, If school is really important for them, to actually try to get through it be more beneficial to take one class at a time and so sometimes uh those are petitions that aren't as easy to approve Mm -hmm. and then i think don't you also when you're reviewing um academic records you look for patterns as well i do because Mm -hmm. our rules are more strict than the regular academic um uh standing rules of the college and that's one of the things the federal government says they have to be at least as strict as your school rules and the school rules um, in a sense would allow you a longer period of time with lower gpa or lower passing percentage before you'd be put on academic probation with the college or academically dismissed from the college because we're not dismissing a student with financial aid we're disqualifying them from an a from aid eligibility but they oftentimes are still academically eligible at the institution to attend. And so, yeah, uh, going back to your question, you know, I mean, um, you know, it's one of these things that, yeah, we, uh, you know, we have petitions coming in throughout the year. We try to take into account the circumstances they've given us, Uh, you know, and this doesn't even account for the circumstances for those extension petitions. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the students who take more than 150%. Now, some of the same reasons, Dana, you talked about are some of the reasons that lead up to (laughs) (laughs) why they're over 150%. Because, again, if you had to drop out of a a full semester, that could be 12 units you got nothing for. Yeah. And you have to repeat all those classes. And maybe work meant that you, even if you're taking less classes, but you weren't passing them all. Or some people find out through work that what the type of uh, program they're going to go for is not what they want to do. You know, they signed up to be an accountant and they found out accounting classes are tough. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it's just not a good fit for them. Exactly. And so then they Mm -hmm. go to uh, they want to go into law enforcement. So they do administration of justice or we have uh, people who go from uh, kinesiology uh, to culinary arts. Mm -hmm. And so you could leave behind a lot of units. And when you start over, that's more attempted units. Uh, oh, and then I think another one yeah. is um, when you're having to take, well, maybe not so much now, but like prerequisite mm-hmm. courses. That's true. That And if you had to repeat yeah. those, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we tried to account for some of that in our policy, but um, mm-hmm. it's not easy to just say all remedial units and pre-college level classes mm-hmm. are off the table. But we do that for a lot of them, so that doesn't hurt them in the 150% um, point. And the reason for that is, we had some ESL classes and other ones that actually mm-hmm. do count for college credit mm-hmm. when you get high enough in those levels. Yes. And yeah. so you just can't discount them all. Uh, <clears throat> but no, that's a, uh, that's a good uh, point there. But yeah, those other petitions, the extensions, we have to then start looking at it. Was it a change of major? Right. Was it a, a, you know, some problems, a couple semesters where you had to repeat a lot of classes. And sometimes it's students who were back in school many, many years ago. Uh, right out of high school and may not have had a very good time of things. And we understand that, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, Dana, what else do we want to cover in SAP here before we move on with the show? I'm trying to think, have we kind of covered the broad basics? I think we have. I mean, you've, 
pretty much went through went from yeah. A to Z here. So in yeah. case you ever hear it and someone says, Are you meeting SAP? Are you on SAP? Are you on SAP disqualification? Uh, have you read our SAP policy? If you ever hear that around a college or even SAP, um, unless they're talking to computer uh, software people, uh, there's a company <laughs> called SAP out there. Uh-huh. We're talking about satisfactory academic, academic progress. progress. And it's a requirement the feds require us to have students meet. Now, uh, like I was talking earlier on what spurred on this topic was a paper put out by people who are out there to help foster youth. There's a lot of, um, you know, things that they suggested as far as policies and all that some schools could certainly work on. But I think in general, regardless of what the paper may say, I think most of us are doing a very good job of addressing these issues, allowing for students to uh, a petition. And I, mm-hmm. I got to say, I know some who are much more soft hearted than me who are approving higher percentages. And I find that hard sometimes because I approve a high percentage of petitions. Um it's everything else, though, that we have to consider when it's about students making progress. I can approve a petition, but if the student goes right back to um, working 40 to 50 hours a week or has signed up for five classes when they're even their uh, maybe their DSPS counselor or some other counselor says you should take two classes at a time, mm. I can't help that. Uh, so the students right. have to do their part, too. We have to Absolutely. make sure that... If they really want to be successful and not to be looking at it, well, if I'm not full-time, I don't get all the money. That's not the way to be thinking about it. I understand Mm -hmm. there's financial implications to life, but you do have to think of it in terms of if you ever want to get out of college, unlike me and Dana who are here forever, uh, (laughs) if you ever want to get out and go into the real world, you got to buckle down. So just something to keep in mind as the music rolls through. And just like that, Dana, we're closing out SAP for the day so we can move on to our last sip segment. In the last sip. There it is. <laughs> there we go. Well, That's probably, two sips. Yeah, exactly right. We should call it the last sips. Oh, yeah. I may have to change the uh, wording here on our uh, script on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll probably revisit SAP and hopefully maybe with Anna Faye or some other uh, people. Uh, I'll try to get Brittany, who used to be on our board, um, uh, works up in the northern part of the state. She sat in on the initial writing of the report. She's a financial aid technician okay. and specialist and works particularly with foster youth. Um, but she helped them with the technical aspects of things. And she was on yesterday's webinar. So that's good to see that uh, they did reach out. I offered some post-report commentary, uh, both good and bad. I mean, there's a lot to be supportive of. I think there's some areas there that uh, maybe there's some misunderstanding of some policies and all. But anyways, <clears throat> we'll definitely get back to this topic. Yeah, it sounds like day. it. Oh, yeah. So, Dana, we're at that point of the show. If you have... Please, for our listeners, a great I Dare You To selection. Okay, so my I Dare You is a, is going to be a companion to your I Dare uh-huh. You for the audience. Okay. So I'm going to dare all of you to check out uh, Chernobyl. Um, it's a HBO miniseri- miniseries. And um, so it chronicles, um, you know, the, the history of 
you know, what happened out there mm-hmm. and the aftermath and the effects. So definitely if you get a chance, check it out. I think for, it's, it's really good, yeah, but it's, for, you know, it's dramatized. So, um, but like I said, I think it's, it's really good for our younger listeners who were born in 1987 oh. <laughs> or, uh, uh, later, you may not know what Chernobyl is. Chernobyl was a, uh, in short, a nuclear reactor for power. Catastrophic. Catastrophic failure in 1986. (laughs) Yeah. It's somewhere in the Russian area of Ukraine, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, made uh, world news because of the effect on things. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there's a, uh, this is again, 35 years later. So uh, I got to find a way to watch it on HBO uh, to go along with, like you said, my companion piece, which was I was doing some book shopping and I found a book called Chernobyl, A Stalker's Guide by Darman Richter. And it's not a big book, but it's kind of like an art book because I bought it through a art and architecture bookstore. And it's about uh, stalkers, which are the locals <clears throat> who take uh, worldwide tourists through the, the town that's a couple miles away where all the workers lived for this power plant. And up through areas near the power plant. Because for those who don't know, uh, Dana was right. It was a big disaster. Yes. Literally to the point that um, it's probably one of the worst effects ever on people. Because there's some other shows on either PBS or American History Channel or other things about Chernobyl. If you want to just check out uh, the bad side of when you don't... um, take nuclear power seriously oh yeah i mean there's there's a lot of reasoning for why things happen and to see back in the time because 1986 again for our younger listeners was a time when russia was still a union of soviet socialist republics they were all together Mm -hmm. remember the the show yeah yeah, i was going to mention the show does um you know uh go through that as well mm-hmm. but the political side of it yes yes uh-huh. uh as far as the, like the news shutout in 1986 yes, yes. trying to get news about what may have happened why mm-hmm. and all that yeah. but yeah a lot of people unfortunately lost their lives who worked in the mm-hmm. plant not just because of the explosion but because of all the nuclear radiation people yes. who then were brought in as firefighters mm-hmm. helicopter pilots because they were all, dumping all sand and stuff on this um, they got exposed yeah got exposed and, and of course mm-hmm. the locals there too so yes and not just and not just on humans but even on animals, oh, animals and the environment absolutely. itself yes. like yeah yeah so uh yeah i was i was just watching something recently on uh i think it was american history channel or discovery or whatever uh about this and so you'll see it's a whole different world out there people back in the 80s Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a it, it's an interesting thing. So, good pick there, Dana. And I'm gonna say mine's a pretty good pick too. What the heck? <laughs> Get all. Oh, and then yeah. I was gonna mention also, um, you know, if, you, if if for whatever reason you you what am I talking about? If you don't uh-huh. have a subscription to HBO, you can't watch it. Um, there is a companion um uh, podcast. So maybe okay, the podcast. Awesome idea. So yeah, when you're done <laughs> listening to us, go find that one. Because yeah. you're going to be done with us today because, Dana, that's all. this is all the time we have for today's show. All right. That's but we all got, wrote, huh? We got more for next week. Don't worry about it, everybody. I want to thank my co-host, Dana, of course, for joining us on What's Brewing Seas. And, of course, even more, thank you, our audience, for tuning in. 
And everyone, if you have something to say or you have topics you want us to discuss, email us at wbcspa at gmail.com. You can find this and all What's Brewing CISPA podcasts on Google Podcasts, your Apple, Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing CISPA is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of Dennis and me. This has been episode number 108, recorded the morning of Friday, July 23rd, 2021. Have a great day. And everyone have a great weekend.